Welcome to the Sermons Podcast, a ministry of Vienna Assembly of God, located right here in Vienna, Virginia. We're so glad you've joined us today. I hope you enjoy today's sermon. Thank you. I want to just say that here in this space, uh, I am aware of the manifest presence of the Lord during our worship time, during that prayer time, and I I hope that you are sensing that there in your space as well. Let's honor that. Let's keep attuned to the Spirit and see what He has to say to us and to work in us in these moments. What an honor, what a privilege that we know that Jesus said that when we are gathered in His name, He is here in our midst. He is here with us today with the gathered ones being with us and giving us the sense of his peace and his comfort. And I'm so thankful for that today. Well, it's the second Sunday of Advent, and we're going to begin this part of the service, this part of the message with reading some of the readings from the lectionary. We weren't reading all of them. I'm going to be reading a portion of the Isaiah and then uh, the portion from Mark. So we'll begin in Isaiah chapter 40, and I did send you the references for all the readings, and we'll be looking at those together on Wednesday if you want to read them in advance. But we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 40, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. So beginning at verse 1, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness to the Lord, for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland. For our God, fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. And then we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark beginning at Chapter 1, verse 1, reading verses 1 through 8. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. This isn't going to happen down later in my notes, so I just have to say it now. This is the beginning of the book. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He pretty much nails it right there at the beginning. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. 
he was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Father, I pray right now that our hearts would be good soil to receive the seed of the word of God today, that our ears would be open, that our minds would be ready to be enlightened, to receive the light of the gospel. I pray for an anointing on me as I speak it forth and on the anointing on the technology as it is shared out from this place. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Um, I just wanted to say, how many of you have planning locusts on your Christmas menu? I just think that's one of the crazy things about John the Baptist, that that's what he ate. Uh, Craig has been watching this, um, well, our kids recommended it. So there's this show on Netflix called Alone, where these guys, people are out trying to survive in the wilderness and everything. And so one of the women... Um, finally caught a rabbit to eat. And I'm telling you, to me, I wouldn't be looking at that thing and saying, oh, wonderful. But she was so hungry and so desperate. She was like just crying and actually giving thanks to God. She was like, I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful for this abundance. And it's this scrawny, hairy little thing. I'm so thankful for this. Well, uh, it made me, when I read that thing about John the Baptist eating locusts, it made me think that way. You know, everything is relative, isn't it? But God sent John the Baptist, and we're going to talk about that today a little bit. There are three Sundays, including today, before Christmas. Can you believe that? Wow. And in these three weeks, we are going to tie a ribbon on our 2020 theme by seeing faith, hope, and love coming alive within the Christmas story. So today is faith. I want to draw your attention today to two things, the story of John the Baptist and then the communal experience of suffering and redemption writ large throughout the biblical narrative and which we will celebrate today as we join with millions of others at the Lord's table. And as we give attention to these themes, my goal is to once again strengthen and deepen our faith, affirm your faith, and maybe 
renew your faith in our good God and his son, Jesus Christ. I'm reading a book right now. The title is this, Reading While Black, African-American Biblical Interpretation as an Exercise in Hope by Dr. Esau McCauley. I listened to an interview with him talking about the book, and he made a point to say, if you are an author and write a very long subtitle <laughs> that you think is important, then it's just you, you, it's your responsibility. You have to say it every time somebody asks you about the book. So that's, the, that's why I shared that entire title. I'm reading this along with our friend, Pastor Martin Pickett of Faith Encounters Community Church. I was meeting with another group of friends here in Vienna, Pastor Johnny Christina and Corky Eddins of Christ Church Vienna, and I told them, I am really pumped up about one of your Anglican authors, Dr. Esau McCauley, to which Johnny immediately concurred, isn't he amazing? So I'm in the learner's seat with this book, listening and growing from this Anglican African Americans wisdom and insight and experience and I'm telling you this because a good bit of what I'm sharing today was inspired by this book and I'm, I'm directly quoting Dr. McCauley at sometimes during this message. As we read the prophecy in Isaiah, the voice of one shouting in the wilderness and then its fulfillment in the Gospel of Mark with the appearance of John the Baptist, it is compelling to consider the birth of John. Luke's Gospel actually begins with the telling of John's story before moving on to the Virgin Mary and the incarnation of Jesus. John was born to Zechariah and Elizabeth in their old age. Luke tells us that Zechariah was a priest and Elizabeth descended from a priestly family. Now listen, this meant that much of Zechariah's year was spent teaching, investigating issues of purity, and interceding for the people. And Elizabeth would have been raised in a family that did the same. Zechariah and Elizabeth then were directly involved in making theological sense of Israel's status as oppressed people under the thumb of the Roman Empire. They would have experienced the cynicism and, and the remarks, the lives of the disinherited. They would have been familiar with the questions that people had. Where is God? Let us consider what it means to have faith in such a context. The people of Israel at this time had not known freedom from a ruling power, nor had their parents, nor had their grandparents, or anyone in living memory. Zechariah and Elizabeth surely were familiar with the hard questions that were posed about poverty, oppression, faith, and hope in the God of Israel. Luke tells us they were righteous before God, 
walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blamelessly. They continued in the faith even though they had been unable to conceive and give birth to a child. Dr. McCauley points out that they lived with national, meaning Israel under that rule of Rome, and personal, meaning no children, both tragedies, national and personal. Well, right now, today, December 6, 2020, I believe that every one of us before God can say that we have at least sensed some of this reality this year, living with national or large-scale tragedy and personal tragedy. I know your personal stories of each of you this year, the challenges and losses, sicknesses and grief that you have personally faced. And all of us together have endured the national strife of this political year, the scarring and wounding realities of racial injustice layered atop and enmeshed in this global pandemic. We could resonate with the prophet Jeremiah's lament. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. I have to stop here and say, Pastor Craig has not read my notes, but his prayer time just completely fits with what I'm trying to say to us in the middle of what if things aren't going right. That's kind of where we find ourselves. Even so, I want to ask you to consider the depth of the reality of what it means to be an oppressed people for generations. For the sense that nothing has changed since before my grandparents or great-grandparents' time. As much as I empathize and sympathize with each of you for what this year has been to us, I want us to realize that we may be able to learn from some who have faced even darker situations. I want to suggest that many of us are not able to understand this fully based on our own personal experience. Because why? Because we have lived in a place of more freedom, more upward mobility, more acceptance, and I'll go ahead and use a word that has become controversial, more privilege. Dr. McCauley says that it is important that Luke begins here with the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth because it situates the Jesus story in the middle of the pain of Israel, which includes the large-scale tragedy of exile and disinheritance along with the personal traumas each individual Israelite must face. In other words, he says, Luke begins with the issue of injustice as a central 
concern. There is a depth of faith as shown through the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth that they kept believing God that is birthed and nurtured in the crucible of an oppressed people. Now, I don't think any of us want to sign up for the crucible. I don't think there's a line forming for, like, please put me through some harder times. That's not what we do. But however, I think all of us wish for having a deep, deep faith. This is where I want to encourage us all to open our hearts to learn from others whose experiences of oppression or disinheritance have not diminished their faith, but have made it more precious than gold. Now, again, I am not saying that each of us haven't already experienced this. Don't hear that. But I'm inviting us to consider what else can we learn. In our culture right now, I believe I am having to acknowledge that the black church is one of the places I can learn from. And I would like to invite you to learn with me. Now, why do I say this? Let me give just three examples. In Friday's selection from the Advent Project, which I had sent a link to that early last week, and it's been, I've really enjoyed it. I read a beautiful poem by Phyllis Wheatley. The devotional pointed out that Phyllis was one of the most highly acclaimed poets of the 18th century, and she was an enslaved person. Now, her story is complex, but the reality is that her faith in Christ was steadfast throughout her life, even though she was, had been enslaved, she eventually gained freedom, but then faced poverty because of the challenges that a free black person faced in the 1700s in America. But her faith and the, the beautiful encouragement to faith that she wrote is an example to us all. Second, I watched a movie about Ruby Bridges on the 60th anniversary of her entrance to William France Public School, the lone black child sent to this school to begin integration in New Orleans. It was the true story taken from Ruby's own writings. The treatment that this six-year-old child received from the white parents was appalling. She daily had to walk a gauntlet of people screaming, calling her names, threatening to kill her, spitting on her. The movie also showed her family in their weekly habit of worshiping God and in their daily habit of saying their prayers and learning the scripture. 
When Ruby was crying one night to her mother about the way the people were treating her, her mother taught her to do as Jesus said, to pray for those who persecute you. Now, friends, as a person who has been in church my entire life, as someone who loves Jesus and loves the scripture and wants desperately to follow Jesus faithfully, I have to say that I would not pass this test. I once had a situation where my daughter faced some opposition at school. And we did a lot to address it. Meetings with the principal, letters to our representatives, etc. What I do not remember is teaching my daughter to pray for those who persecute us. I was more about demanding our rights. Why? Because I was not in a position of the oppressed or disinherited. I expected my rights to be defended, and I expected to be able to make a few complaints to the right people and get the situation fixed. I certainly did not come from a situation of long-term fighting the good fight and keep on praying for those who persecute me. I have a lot to learn from Ruby Bridges, who I watched in that movie as a little girl stand on the steps of that school with people shouting and cursing her, and she stood there saying her daily prayer to God for them. Thirdly, lessons that I've learned from the black church. In my office, I have a print of a painting that I purchased in Charleston, South Carolina. It is of Mother Emanuel AME Church, the church where a white supremacist, Dylan Roof, was welcomed into a Wednesday night Bible study where he sat with the people gathered for nearly an hour. And then he stood up, pulled out his weapon, and shot them all. I don't keep that picture in my office in order to just remember this awful tragedy. I keep it to remember the faith of that congregation. To remember the grace they demonstrated by offering forgiveness to this murderer. I keep it to hope for my faith in the eternal God to grow into something like theirs. That even when tragedy comes to us and we find ourselves saying, how long, O oh Lord, 
that we don't give up on what we know are the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we don't shift over into the power of man, the wrath of man, the the, the strength of our own will, that instead we don't make excuses or rationalize our bad behavior or our lack of faith. We lament and we hold on. We give mercy. We seek mercy. We keep the faith. We have a lot to learn, my friends, from people that have been under an oppressive situation for a long time whose faith has been tested and tried and has come out like pure gold. Let us learn today. Which brings me to communion. As we gather at the Lord's table today, I want us to be alert and aware to the many others who also will sit at table today, who will partake of the body and the blood, who will place their faith and their remembrance in Christ our Lord. You saw the greeting from Adam and Christy Trimber, from, and they said they, they work with the Egyptian Assemblies of God. Friends, that, that group is, is a small piece of the population in their country. It is, in Cairo, when we were there, you hear the Muslim call to prayer five times a day. It's on loudspeakers throughout the city everywhere there are mosques everywhere and yet these assembly of god christians are gathering in in small buildings all around the city when they share communion it's not that they are in an easy place they are not in a place that they have that their rights are primary but they love jesus their faith is strong they remember, and it's important that we remember. How is this faith sustained? We can learn from our brothers and sisters who have struggled under circumstances and oppression that it's not our story, but we can learn from theirs. Remembrance strengthens our faith. Zechariah and Elizabeth remembered that God had opened barren wombs before, even of the aged. Abraham and Sarah, the child of promise, came when they were old. They remembered that the prophet Isaiah had said, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. That the voice of one crying in the wilderness was preparing the way for the Lord himself to appear we must remember to don't let discouragement and disappointment trials and tribulation darkness and turmoil take away your foundation we trust in god the god who does not change in the middle of the storm and by sharing his table with all of his people, we nourish this faith and bear witness to his appearing. 
Amen. Amen. Our faith is in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we are not <laughs> in this alone. We have people that we can learn from and our faith grow and become more of a powerful witness to this world. I want you to gather your elements. I'm going to say a quick prayer, and then we're going to receive the table together. Lord, I thank you for the Christmas story that embedded within it is this reality of waiting on you, of faith being strengthened even in the middle of oppression. And I pray that we, the people of this congregation, that have lived perhaps maybe a little easier than some of our brothers and sisters could learn from some of the things they've been through and learn how to humble ourselves, learn how to obey the teachings of Jesus even when we're not getting our way. Forgive us. Forgive us for the times when we've put demands on you and said, if you don't do it my way, God, I'm going to find another way. Mm. Cleanse us, O oh Lord. Mm. And thank you. Thank you for the honor of coming to table with you, with so many others, and for our faith to be strengthened and nourished today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 our, our traditional text that helps us frame this moment. Verse 23, the apostle writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Friends, as we take the bread and, and experience the body, we know that we have also been taught that we are now the body of Christ. And we... I want us to keep in mind the full body of Christ, the millions upon millions that are receiving this bread today and discern properly 
that we trust in God fully. Let us receive the bread. Verse 25, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Whatever sense you may have had of what to repent of as we entered into this moment, we understand that when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. I want you to drink this cup in celebration of that. I want you to drink this cup in faith that your sins have been washed away, that we have been made whole in Christ, and that as we do this in remembrance of him, we are not only proclaiming he came the first time, we are proclaiming that we know he is coming again. Will you receive the cup together with me? These three remain, faith, hope, and love. And we have been on a journey this year, having these things strengthened within us. A faith that is going to make it through the rest of the dark days ahead of us must be grounded in God, must be grounded in an ability to say no matter what, it doesn't matter if people treat me wrong. It doesn't matter if things don't go how I expected them to. It doesn't matter if I'm eating locusts. I am going to trust in God. And I want to encourage us all today to make sure that we have that sure foundation, that our faith is strong in God, that we can celebrate this season of waiting even in the times that are hard because of the faith we have in God and the community we have with each other. Let's go out and make it a great day trusting in God. I love you. I hope to see as many of you as possible on this Wednesday. Amen and amen. <laughs>